The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, let's say good morning to Robert Benzie, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Richard Krause is here, host of the podcast called Last Call with Richard Krause, and Sanira Chaudhry, employment lawyer at Workley Law. And Richard, you're just back from a trip overseas, aren't you? Yeah, back from uh, Dublin and London and um, back to the heat here, which was not the case when we were away uh, over there. It was perfect walking weather. Uh, and then we come back here, and I've been uh, a sweat bag ever since. Okay, well, get ready for a like long, it. hot summer. I don't like it. Speaking of which, uh, the way to cool down is to crank up the airco, but then you get to 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a day where it's 35 degrees, and all of a sudden we don't have enough electricity. Robert Benzie, yeah. I'll start with you on this one. We spoke with Mike Schreiner earlier on the show, and he was saying this is all about electrical management and trying to figure out how to get creative about how we produce electricity, how we store electricity, how we supply electricity, and how we use electricity. Yeah, I mean, the grid is a complicated uh, entity. And to be fair, things are better now than they were 20 years ago when we had warnings of brownouts and and things like that. So it's still not perfect but it's better than it used to be and the problem though is governments need to plan longer term and they don't they like to think in four-year cycles instead of decade-long cycles and if you are going to build more nuclear plants which is pretty much what we're going to have to do because that is where we get 50 percent of our electricity is from nukes now and and it's the it's the most viable in terms of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, granted re- radioactive waste is not great to deal with, but it's greenhouse gas emissions seem to be the thing that everyone's worried about now. We're going to have to plan uh, to do those things and to the refurbishment of uh, at Pickering, things like that. These are things that are challenges facing the government right now that they have to deal with. Sonera, I've always maintained one of our principal problems when it comes to electricity and energy in this province is we don't want to actually pay for it, which is why we keep on coming up with either stalling tactics or means of hiding the cost of electricity. Yeah, of of course, it's something that's on everyone's brain. I don't think anybody, uh, John, especially in this year with inflation being what it it is and grocery bills being what they are, want to consider paying more for electricity or or more to support it. But we do know Ontario, as an example, is at like a heightened risk of of these brownouts this summer. Uh, We all remember, I mean, it wasn't an electricity-based issue, but we remember sort of uh, uh, last year when... Um, there was an outage and, uh, well, I, I mean, we all, it, I know in downtown Toronto, I, I recall having to let most of my team go home early in the day when we had just a few hours of an outage in Toronto last year. So um, if we have to face that this year and there's a possibility we have a higher risk in Ontario, of course, we're going to be turning to our own provincial government and what's going to be happening there. I know in the article that we read this morning, the Ford government did, you know, axe, I think, a lot of renewable energy projects. And to Benzie's point, looking at the longevity of what electricity is going to look like in this province, it has to be longer term. And Richard Krauss, if we did face, you know, rolling blackouts or load shedding or various other measures or brownouts, uh, you, like so many people in downtown Toronto, live in a condo building, which is dependent on air conditioning and elevators. 
Yeah. I mean, luckily we don't live on a high floor and we have windows that open. So, you know, we can kind of figure that out, I suppose. But, you know, I have lived through a, a number of blackouts uh, in the city over the last couple of decades. I've lived through a bunch of brownouts uh, and and they really uh, do disrupt, uh, you know, in ways that I don't think are immediately obvious to us. So we do have to be careful about this. But I, I cannot help but wonder, uh, you know, why this wasn't addressed years ago. I know that uh, you don't want to have uh, be in a situation as a government where you're planning for something 20 years later. You know, you as you said earlier, they tend to think in four year cycles, not 10 or 20 year cycles. Uh, but this is not a problem that's going to go away. And it's just going to be exacerbated every year. And every year around this time, uh, in early June, we're going to start getting these warnings. And I mean, I, I think it's concerning to me about uh, this. I don't know that I that I'm feeling the fear. I don't know that we're going to have immediate blackouts, but certainly it's something that we have to keep in mind. Okay. Well, without getting too deep into the weeds, Robert Benzie, I'm pretty sure it was the star that did a major dive on electricity and political policy over the last 40 years, and they found that people were either kicking the can and delaying work that needed to be done, or spending a whack of money on stuff that needed to be done, but then trying trying to figure out how to hide it. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that people forget, um, and it's easy to forget this, John, uh, electricity subsidies in this province are now around $6.5 billion a year. So that means that it's one of the largest line, line items on the annual budget. And this is something that started under Kathleen Wynne and has increased under Doug Ford. And it's because we don't want to charge Ontarians the real price of electricity. So to Sanir's point earlier, like the, we don't, we're not paying the real cost. We're paying an artificially low cost. Now, you could argue that uh, electricity in, in Ontario has always been subsidized going back to the days of Ontario Hydro and Adam Beck before that. But it is it is weird to me that we don't charge people what it actually costs. Can you imagine if gasoline were artificially 50 cents a liter? You know, you'd be, people would think that was insane, but we seem to accept it with electricity. Although we do subsidize oil at source, yeah. but let's, let's not yeah. get into that one. Okay, so uh, the Fed's ponying up some cash for pride. Emergency's over. It's sort of like how the Grinch stole Christmas, but now the uh, Who's in Whoville are going to be happy. Um, Sunira, is this money well spent? <laughs> I think so, uh, John, especially if you, I think it's responding to, you know, rising security concerns and security costs. So that's absolutely going to be, I think, critical. Um, we, we talked last week about, uh, you know, the Catholic school board not raising the pride flag. We know that um, this has become a bit more of a polarizing topic. So I think security is a, a central concern. And I think absolutely it's money well spent. Richard, you're kind of at Pride Central. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours who lives in your building is getting out of town because he doesn't want the noise. Well, um, it is noisy here. I've for that weekend, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is a bargain for government when you consider that people travel to Toronto from all over the place and spend a ton of money during Pride. 
Yeah, when you're in the middle of it, like I am, uh, and because of where I live, uh, and it, you just you feel the excitement, you feel the buzz that is happening uh, right in the downtown of the city, and we need that. We're, you know, out walking around over the last couple of nights. We went to see a movie last night. We were walking home, and there's there just isn't much happening downtown now, and and it feels depressing to me. It feels like the city has not come back in any way. Uh, after COVID, and, and particularly after being in London uh, a, a week or so ago, where it's just so vibrant, things have bounced back. Being in New York a few weeks ago, where things have bounced back, and we come back to Toronto and it's sleepy and it just feels like there's nothing happening here. Uh, and it, Pride is one of those events that that injects a great deal of excitement into the middle of the city. It brings a lot of people in. A lot of people spend a lot of money. This is an important event for the cultural life of the city and i would argue for uh you know this month for the the health of the downtown and robert benzi i forget which column or pundit it was uh earlier in the show might have been deb but i don't want to misascribe sentiments but people were saying why can't pride pay for itself well yeah i think deb was saying why how does pride not make a profit and i i i i do wonder that myself because it is such a hugely successful event and um, it brings in hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue to the city. It's a positive thing. And to Richard's point, we the city post-pandemic really, really needs these festivals. We need Pride. We need uh, Caravan. And we need these things because we are really, the, the core, uh, to Richard's point, is really feeling empty these days. I, I walked back from the STARS uh, um, mayoral debate last week, which was uh, at the Ryerson Bill or TMU building at, uh, at near the Eaton Center. And I, I walked along Dundas Street and I was thinking, oh, it'd be nice to just have a walk home on on this buzzy street. And I was surprised like by the AGO, hardly anyone walking around. Um, the restaurants weren't full. It was just really depressing. And I don't think that's a good Thing. One of the great things about Toronto is that unlike a lot of U.S. cities, we don't have that donut where the downtown empties at night. We have people living there and playing there and hanging out and doing fun things. I just I really worry that we've, we've, we're losing that. If we, we, People have to get back to, to the office and get back to going out downtown. Apple is tweaking is tweaking its autocorrect func function and um, there we go. <laughs> really? <laughs> Only sounded like you, that. You can say that now on the radio? It, it, <laughs> there we go. Sunira, are you a person who's been telling people previously to duck off? I don't swear, John, unlike some of us on this panel, but um, <laughs> I, um, you know, what's funny is that, you know, some of my friends and my family uh, call me Sunny, S-U-N-I, and it always autocorrects to Sumo. So I'm hoping some of these tweaks will help me out. Okay. Uh, Richard Krauss, uh, I'm put to mind in what I've just done on the radio of Aretha Franklin singing uh, My Country Is of Thee uh, at Barack Obama's uh, inauguration. But anyway, I'll let you have what I think is going to be the last word here. Well, uh, you know, John, you know that I have a potty mouth, uh, but I don't use it in print. I don't really text uh, bad words. And I don't know if it's just because years ago when we all got cell phones, uh, somebody at CTV took me aside and said, never put anything down on social media or in a text or in an email that you wouldn't want your mother to read. And so I have stayed by that. But as you've witnessed, uh, I don't do, practice that in person. Okay. <laughs> so I always find 
find out how much I swear off the air when I'm around my <laughs> six-year-old niece, and then it gets really embarrassing. Thank you all, Sunir Chaudhry, Robert Benzi, Richard Krauss. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.